Hi and welcome to Simply Healing. It's a series of free downloads that we made to help people with their prayer lives. So this is download number two, entitled, It Ain't What You Say. I want to talk to you really about trust um, in the beginning of these chats. The, the reason I want to do that is that Jesus, I can't get away from it, so often through uh, the, the, the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels, he's talking about the need to trust. Um, uh, he doesn't actually use that word. I, I, they use the word faith, which... Uh, um, is easily misunderstood these days like if you don't get healed you haven't got enough faith you know and that's um, wrong in the sense that I th- we, we Christians take the, the um, a bit easier with this and, and we start thinking that you know other Christians are talking about what I call our creedal faith it's you, you know the I believe in the Father, Son and Holy Spirit bit and the virgin birth and the death and, wretch, death and resurrection of Jesus and all that stuff well nobody's querying that with us it isn't that faith the belief system in that sense that we're talking about what, what I want to talk about really is, is, is another word for that faith which is actually trust um, J- Jesus talking to people he, he seems to be forever saying well your trust has healed you or your little faith you know why did you doubt in other words you didn't quite have enough trust uh, if you have faith in other words trust you can move mountains and so on so there's a, a great promise here um, that I find written right through the gospel that, that if only we could trust then the Lord would move mountains for us and I have spent a lot of time over the years uh, trying to understand trust and how much it is and in fact how little we need um, it takes a great deal of honesty as a Christian to be able to look at these things in yourself and one of the things that I often say to people about Jesus is if you've got something wrong with you you know, how, or you're praying for somebody else how can you trust how can we possibly trust somebody when we actually don't know what they're going to do and I don't know if you've noticed this but a lot of Christians say, well, it's, it's my job just to pray and let God be God. You know, God is sovereign. He's got to be allowed to make his own decisions, you know. And it's a bit like getting on an airplane and saying, well, I trust the pilot to take me to wherever he thinks is best, you know. I, I trust him to get me there in one piece and let's hope he does. But heaven only knows where we're going to finish up. So I'm wanting to talk to you about the word trust and try and get someone studying that because an awful lot of it you know is in the way we uh, have a picture of Jesus the way we understand uh, what what is being said and I, I suppose the first way that I would think about that is to think you, you know that bit where Jesus says ask and seek and knock and the door will be opened unto you the, those three sayings and so often in the healing ministry I I find that the church wants to look at God as a sort of slot machine, a sort of one-armed bandit in Las Vegas, you know and that if they can find somebody like Mike Endicott who who thinks he knows how to pull the right lever and we get him to pull the lever for us we might pull the jackpot and actually 
it, it, it's a lot in the way these things are said because the, the ask and the seek and the knock those three verbs in the original Greek are actually present and ongoing tense in the Greek it really would stand better translating as, as go on asking, go on seeking, go on knocking and the Lord will give you what you want it, it's a pressing into the kingdom that's, and you only understand that if you can see not just face value what the Lord says but how he's actually saying it it's not what you say it's the way that you say it I've had the most fabulous weekend I thoroughly enjoyed myself I really have we had a uh, healing service on Saturday night just gone and um, there were some lovely things there but, but one couple came to see me afterwards and they said they hadn't come for prayer they'd just come to give thanks because they had come, what should we say, seven, seven, yeah, seven years ago, to the day nearly, seven years ago, about their daughter, Rebecca, who had um, cystic fibrosis. So she was pretty much at home all the time, uh, heavy medication, oxygen bottles in her bedroom, bags of, of, of physiotherapy going on all day to try and keep her lungs clear of, of liquid with, with a potentially very much shortened life. Um, and, and that's quite typical of cystic fibrosis sufferers. And they came to the office and we prayed about that with, uh, over her daughter and they came back seven years later to say that only a couple of days after that healing service, the daughter had said, Mum, you know, I, I feel somehow strangely different inside, and I wonder if I could ease up a bit if you watch it very carefully, the medication, see what happens. And the, the parents were a bit, mm, about it, you know, because um, it's not always a good thing to do that. And, and so they did, they slackened off a little bit, and the girl got better and better and better. And so they slacken, were able to slacken it off a bit more and ease down on the physiotherapy and so on. And she was using less and less oxygen. And eventually, cut a long story short, she left home. Um, she went off to have a career in a big city. She is a some sort of beauty consultant in a salon somewhere. And, and she has a full social life. She's 20 now, and there is not a trace of cystic fibrosis in her. Praise God. I mean, I went home utterly rejoicing about this. I went home to, and the next morning, on Sunday morning, I had an email through from a doctor's wife. Now, the doctor had been, he had a brain tumor. And the situation at the time was that the doctors were plowing into him uh, huge high levels of medication in order to try and stop this very aggressive thing getting any bigger, if they possibly could. And... He, he prayed with him. Uh, my, my wife, Ginny, took one look and she said afterwards, you, you could tell just by looking at him, he was dying, you know. He, he was in the wheelchair sitting there and quite apparently uh, he was dying. And I, uh, we, we prayed and gave thanks to the, to the Father for the cross of Jesus and what that cross means to us and so on. And I had an email from his wife to say that they'd been to hospital to, to get the usual sort of weekly or whatever it was checks done and there's absolutely no sign of a brain tumour in his head at all. So that that's pretty fantastic, isn't it? I mean, I'm like gasping for joy at this point. And on Monday morning, a lady came into the office to say that we'd been praying really about her mum 
who's, you know, not that old, I mean, in her 60s, uh, but her mum was absolutely riddled with rheumatoid arthritis, been in considerable pain and debility for probably 10 years. I mean, considerable pain, I mean, being hospitalised down again and pumped up with morphine to try and keep it out and so on. And we now understand that the nobbles and bubbles on her hands are, are going down uh, and that the disease, as far as they can tell, is retreating. You, you've got to catch your breath sometimes, haven't you? When, you? when you listen to stuff like this, it's just so glorious. Anyway, on Tuesday, I had a meeting in my office and I had some people come and we, I was talking about this and they were talking about that. And uh, the door in the office burst open in March, this man, quite unannounced, right into the meeting. And he said, good morning. He said, my name is Morris. I said, hello, Morris, how are you? What can we do for you? And Morris said, well, you, you, I was here a couple of months ago having prayer for cirrhosis of the liver. We, we prayed with him about that. He said he had to go to, he's only just come out of hospital. He came out of the hospital, got a taxi straight round here. He said, I want to tell you, when I was there, they did some sonic tests or something to, to, um, catch up with what, what was happening with the cirrhosis they couldn't find any they couldn't find any cirrhosis and they couldn't find any liver damage in him and I what can you do but just sit and give glory to the father for the wonders of Jesus lovely stories that sort of bring me around in a circle really because you have this thing uh, awful thing that crops up now and again which says ah oh, well the thing is Mike you're specially anointed to heal the sick or you have a wonderful anointing on you that, that, you know, as if God listens to me, especially more than he listens to other people. And I, I keep trying to tell the church over and over again that this is actually total nonsense. I really do believe that God anointed the whole church to do this sort of ministry at Pentecost. And it's just that we've forgotten how to do it. So part and parcel of these chats is, is, is an opportunity for me to try and put back into the church um, the understandings that the early Christians had of things so that guys, people like you can work in exactly the same way with, with in New Testament ways and, and, and see New Testament results for yourselves. Absolutely tremendous, no? Oh, I love it. But an awful lot of it is to do with trust. An awful lot of it is to do with, I suppose, the way to get trust up that, that I found so much better was actually, one, to experience all these things, because of course that does it. But another wonderful way of doing it is to just to study faithfully, study the character of Jesus, see what sort of person we've got here. A lot of the stuff that I've looked at in trying to reinterpret my own mind's understanding of of Jesus has been to look not just at what he says but the way that he says it. There's a couple of instances that I really wanted to mention in this chat and which gives you a pretty good idea of the sort of thing that I mean here of, of looking at Jesus' character through what he says to people and the first one I take you right back to the Garden of Eden now this is in Genesis the, the Garden of Eden I, I don't want to get into any sort of thought patterns here about whether Garden of Eden is scientifically correct or whether it isn't but what I want to do is, is to have us look at Genesis uh, and have us look at the Garden of Eden as a, a picture of how God actually intended it to be. 
so there's no wars in there and there's no stealing and there's no drug addictions and so on it's just a picture of how God wanted it to be and we know that's true because when he created it he looked at it and he said this is very good there we have the Garden of Eden we have Adam and Eve walking around leading a very abundant life there are plenty of fruit trees there they can eat from vegetables and stuff and uh, I guess judging um, by, by the fashions of the day, the climate must have been pretty good. Then God says, don't eat the fruit of that tree over there. And the snake comes along and says, go away, it's okay, have a go, it's juicy, and it'll give you loads of wisdom and stuff. Eve has a go, she says, oh, that's nice, and gives it to Adam, and he has a go. Uh, the result of that is we get something called the fall. And the long and the short of that is, theologically, we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. Now, we do have wars and starvation and dying children and we steal from each other and all the other things it's all the result of the fall but the interesting thing is is that when they realized what they did they went and hid and they hear the lord god it says in my bible but that's that's jesus walking through the woods in the cool of the of the afternoon the cool of the day which sounds lovely and he calls out to adam and eve where are you? Where are you? Now that is a little snippet of God's words, which are worth thinking about, because when we think about that, we suddenly realise, of course, that God doesn't want to know where they are. God is omniscient, that is to say, he knows everything, so he's no need to ask them where they are. He knows full well where they are and why they're there and what they're doing. To hear him say, where are you, is not just a passing comment. You know, I, I don't know if you've sort of seen this, but Jesus doesn't make passing comments. If he says things, they are little snippets of God's character. So if Jesus says, where are you, that, that is not just a personal little question directed at Adam and Eve because God is lost. <laughs> what it actually is, is a little snippet of God's character. Jesus wants Adam and Eve to know that he is looking for them. Yeah? And it's not, God doesn't say things and mean it today and not tomorrow. So if he's looking for him then, he's looking for us now. We can deduce very simply that God is not a God who we have to wail and whine or dance around or perform all sorts of rituals to try and get him to perform stuff in this world. He is actually coming through the woods all the time looking for us. He, it is Jesus who walks around and and, and meets us here in at home or, or in the office or walking up the street. He is the one who's peering into the faces of people in the subways and saying, where are you? It's, it's a, God is a God who searches for us. There's no trust, is there, if we say, well, we need to learn how to perform the right acts and deeds and rituals and stuff to get God to perform. There's no trust in that at all. And, you know, Jesus says trust is a very important part of receiving blessings from heaven. Because it's an important part of the relationship, isn't it? Oh, I love it. Now, that's why I want to start, Richard. And I'd be very grateful if you would read for us Genesis chapter 3, 8 and 9. All right. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
So do you see the sense in Jesus' heart as he calls, where are you, to Adam and Eve? He actually wants Adam and Eve to know that God is a God who is looking for us all the time looking for us, looking to be close to us, looking to be in our company, looking to be going through our lives with us. Yeah? Isn't that lovely? Now the second story that comes to mind is, is much later on in the Gospels. Here Jesus has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God to folks, yeah, and healing the sick. Uh, individually healing the sick in multitudes every sickness and disease you can think of is, is being brought to him and actually if you look at it and you read the, the stories they, they fall in so precisely with this um, snippet of God's character we got from the Garden of Eden of, of Jesus saying where are you he's coming looking for us and although of course he, he didn't go looking for the sick in his earthly ministry Jesus, what, what you find is that he nevertheless never said no to anybody. He never turned anybody away. Jesus never tried to come up with reasons why you shouldn't be healed, like you haven't gone to church enough lately, or, you know, I remember one lady recently who said to me, my church says I'll never be healed because I used to be a Buddhist. Um, Jesus would never have said anything like that. Jesus never actually even said, wait. He never said, ah, oh, well, the trouble is, you see, I have some other purposes in your life, or I want you to suffer because it's character building. Jesus never said anything like this to anybody. Jesus only said yes. Scripture says all the promises of God, you know, the, 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 are not yes and no, they're yes in Jesus. When it comes down to restoring damaged bits of our lives, be they physical bits or emotional bits, or here is a God who says, where are you? I need to be near you. And the God who never said no. So now I want you to read you a story here from um, the, the New Testament. This is from John chapter 5, and it's, it's Jesus uh, visiting the pool at Bethesda. And the reason I want to mention this bit of scripture to you is because this is the one that often, when I say to people, Jesus never said no, people, somebody eggs his eggs will shout out, oh, hang on a minute, what about the pool at Bethesda? I know what they mean. It looks in this story as if Jesus has walked into a whole gang of sick people, picked one out, dealt with them, and walked off, and the others will just have to go manage by themselves. If you would be so kind, John 5, 1 through 6. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? So Jesus says to the man, do you want to get well? If Jesus is the sort of bloke who walk into a crowded pool full of disabled people, pick one out, eat them and walk off, then we haven't got a Jesus we can trust. We've got a Jesus who makes up his own mind, whether he'll do this or whether he'll do that. We have no idea, have we, when we pray, what he's going to do, whether he's going to heal us or not. 
And people, as I say, they keep saying to me, well, God is sovereign, he must be allowed to, allowed to make his own decisions, and so on. I say to them, no, you, you cannot use the pool of Bethesda as an example of Jesus picking and choosing. It looks like it, I know, but it's not a good thing to pick. I'll tell you why. It's not what you say, it's the way that you say it. If you want to say, let's just take this expression, what did you say to the point now? Do you want to get well? Now, if you don't put any particular emphasis on any one of those words, you just get, do you want to be well? Well, the guy says, yeah, I've got a problem here, though. You know, I've been, like, stuck here 38 years. Every time I try and get, it's all right, these other people, they got their mums and dads and kids, to, but I can't get to the pool when the angel comes and ruffles the surface of it. So, you know, I've got no chance. So Jesus says, okay, up you get, and up he gets and walks off carrying his mat and then Jesus afterwards gets into a lot of trouble because um, the guy was carrying his mat on the Sabbath but that's not the point I want to make the, the interesting thing is that if you just want to hear Jesus saying do you want to get well then you've got a Jesus who did walk in pick out one bloke out of the crowd heal him and walk off and leave the rest so you've got a choosy God yeah who decides what to do and what he might heal you he might heal me he might not but there's nothing much we can do about it anyway we can just ask and hope that that works okay well, that's not trust so that's not going to trigger heaven's dynamite one little bit what you can do is hear something else you can take a second bite of this which which a lot of people I've heard do and they say they put the accent on the word want do you want to get well do you, Jesus says to the paralyzed man, do you want to get well? So now, as a, as a healing minister, if you like, I have the opportunity of making all sorts of excuses about you not being healed, that possibly you didn't want to be healed, really. I mean, there is, but there are, aren't there? There's security in um, being ill. Some people actually like being ill, as long as it's not too painful some people's lives are built round it you've only got to listen to some folks and, and they talk about their condition pretty well non-stop uh, and they know all the detailed medical terms for their, their, their medication and so on I mean their life revolves around their being sick and so you, you, although one might make noises about it and do the Christian thing and go up for ministry at conferences and so on at the end of the day there is security in being like you are I don't know, I suppose, if, if, if it causes you to get a lot of attention from your friends and relatives. You know what I mean? It's got advantages, is not it? Yeah, I, I think we can let God off the hook a lot. If we hear Jesus say, do you want to get healed? We can then assume a lot of people don't want to get healed because they'll lose their sick payments from the government or whatever. But there's a third way to look at it. There's a third way that you can hear what Jesus is saying. Try putting the accent on the word you. Do you want to get healed? Do you want to get healed? Do you want to get healed? How about you? Do you want to get healed? Now suddenly, I'm seeing Jesus in a whole different light. And what I got is this. You see, Jesus has come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And to demonstrate that the kingdom of God essentially is a place of restoration by healing everybody who asked him. Everybody who came to Jesus knew what they were coming for, knew what they would get and went away with it. We have this lovely, lovely situation where I'm putting the accent for you on the word you. 
do you want to get well so now we have Jesus who has come he's proclaimed the good news he filled with the Holy Spirit in, in, in the wilderness in the 40 days Yeah, he knows 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 that he has the power to heal the whole world he knows he's got this yeah he's demonstrated it he's tried it out he's been teaching his apostles how to do it he knows that he can heal anything and anybody just like that he we know from reading other bits and pieces about jesus that he's a man of huge compassion jesus filled with compassion said stretch out your hand and so on yeah we know that he's a very very compassionate God we know that God is so compassionate he had his son killed to take our guilt away to take our sin out of sight so that he could be with us yeah this is the compassion that God has for mankind God watched the fall God watched the results of the fall God longs for us to be back in that original Eden condition so of course he's a God of massive compassion so can you imagine what you would do if you were the son of God and you knew you were if you had function of coming here was to allow something to happen in terms of the kingdom of God that would begin to restore the whole world from the fall that you could teach it you could heal anybody and of all manners of diseases there wasn't anything that got in your way and stopped you in fact it was remarkably easy for you if i read it right and you suddenly with all this love all this compassion all that power you walk into a sort of i suppose jerusalem lords of its day you know uh, a, a place of healing where there are a lot of people all laid around the place waiting for their opportunity to get in the water and you have the power you have all the love you have all the compassion to put all their situations right what would you do and you know something i what i want to say now i have no biblical authority for saying it whatsoever it's just a what meditates around in my mind you know when i'm thinking about these things but what seems to fit Jesus's character much better is the emphasis on the word you do you want to be healed so now I see Jesus going in there and going up to the first one this is in my imagination right and going to the first one and saying do you want to be healed and the first one says well who do you think you are either I go in the water here or I get a doctor so he goes to the second one and says do you want to be healed and the second one says well it's the sabbath actually and i'm a religious person and we don't do healing on the sabbath so he could have gone from one to the other it could even be that somebody in that pool was saying well you haven't healed all the others so it's not likely you'll heal me but in the end jesus found one said do you want to be healed and he says yeah and at any rate of course what we don't know is whether or not all the people in the pool saw that and over the next few months perhaps they sought jesus out i would like to hope so they sought jesus out and were able to receive healing from him i would hope so but i wanted to leave this session with a a, a firm view that jesus is compassion and love and enormous power and is wanting to say to us all the time where are you i need to be with you and restore you where you are amen thanks mike friends 
There's so much about the simplicity of healing that we don't know. Through this series of teachings, Mike has the hope and desire that you and I will understand, embrace, and grab hold of this concept. God wants you to be involved in the lives of hurting people. God wants you to speak His grace and mercy into the heart of their pain and suffering. It's all part of God's plan to reach out to humanity and draw us to Himself. We're so grateful that you are part of this important work. Before we go, I want to invite you to visit our website and find out how you can learn more about Mike's teaching. The address is www.jacobswell.org.uk. Again, that's www.jacobswell.org.uk. On behalf of the staff of Jacob's Well and Mike Endicott, this is Richard Curley reminding you to seek the simplicity and the kingdom power of God's Simply Healing.